before we, before we get started. This is my family. This was uh, two weeks ago, um, and this is, this is the whole crew. On the far left is my oldest son, Andrew, and his wife, Cassie. On, um, next to him is my beautiful wife, Becca, and my youngest son, Danny, uh, he and his wife, Raven. And then uh, my grandson, Gavin, is three, almost four. And then my second son, Peter, and his wife, and our, our newest granddaughter, uh, Kembrin. And then my daughter, and you probably can't see in the picture, she is pregnant and due in October with her husband, Davis. And so that is our family. We love them. They're spread out all over the United States. Uh, my youngest son is in California. My two older sons are in Montana, and my daughter lives about an hour and a half north of us. And so we have a, we have a very lovely family, and uh, they... We've sat down and talked with them about this, and uh, we have served as pastoral care couple in Cambodia for the last three years, and they said, when we talked to them about the possibility of going overseas, they said, we've seen this coming for a number of years, and it just, it fits with you guys. So you guys have been a joy as well. We have met some really neat people in this, in this week. Uh, I don't know if you know the, know the idiom, drinking from a fire hose. Uh, where you get a lot of information in all week long, and that has been what we've been doing. We've been going all over. I learned one thing, that uh, on Friday we were with King, and we got on the MTR at at, uh, Kaluk Tong. That is not for the weak of heart. My word. We waited a a bunch of times before we could finally get in the train, and, and then you just push and push and push to finally get in the train, and Boy, there are a lot of people here, but we have, you guys have been over-the-top kind to us. And your, your uh, GC, your search committee in this whole process has been so kind, so forthcoming with knowledge, and we just really have appreciated this whole process. I want to, talk to, I want to tell you a story before we get started here this morning. When I serve in Cambodia, <clears throat> I serve as the pastor to all of our missionaries that are there. And last year in November, I took a trip, I took a team from our church, and we went to, north, to the northwest portion of Cambodia. And they introduced me to a man, his name was Kung. Kung is a, uh, he was not a nice man at all. Uh, before he came to Christ, his wife, uh, his wife was a Christian, he ridiculed her. And he and his three brothers were like the mafia of that area. I mean, if you owed them money... They would come and they would get it or they would beat you up. So they they were not nice people at all. He had come to a point in his life where he was deciding, what am I going to do with my life? And he was thinking, maybe I will become a Buddhist monk. His family, to support themselves, they made charcoal. And I don't know if you've seen how they make charcoal, uh, but it's like a a big beehive. And they have, um, and it's hollowed out in the bottom. And they have all of this, this wood inside, and the charcoal was ready to be taken out. And so Kung and his four-year-old grandson went in to get the charcoal, and it, and it collapsed on top of them. And Kung's wife, when she saw this, this was all collapsed on top of him, she just said, Jesus! And Kung said it was as though somebody grabbed him by the shoulders and pulled him up out of there. And when they pulled him up out of there, his grandson, nothing was wrong with him at all. All of this wood had fallen on top. All this adobe had fallen on top. But when Kung came out of there, his eye was hanging down. It had come out of the socket. And so his wife took him to one of the clinics and they said, we can't do anything for you. And so they took him to the next clinic and they said, we can't do anything for you. 
And so he went home and he said to his wife, either take me to your church or let me die. He said, I don't want to live like this. They prayed for him, they put a bandage on his eye, and they ministered to him. Over a period of two months, that eye pulled back up into the socket. When I told that story for the first time in my church in the United States, we have a lady in the church who is a doctor of ophthalmology. She said, that had to be a miracle, because she said, that does not happen. During that two-month period, when Kung saw, he saw what the Christians were like, he saw God do a miracle in his life, he gave his life to Christ. From that point on, he was a different man. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Jesus is, and kind of give us a background to help us understand the time period in which Jesus is ministering. So Jesus, up at the far top where you see the, the number 87, there's the word Capernaum up there. That's Jesus' his, his base of ministry. He's deep into his second year of ministry. We call this year of ministry the year of popularity. Extremely popular. But that popularity is going to wane. He is coming close to the end of that time. He is in Capernaum, a Jewish area. But he is going to cross into the area, a Greek area, known as the Decapolis. Literally means the ten cities. And he's going to cross over into this area. Now one of the things we have to remember as we read God's word, Jesus is not Superman. Okay? Fully God fully man. He never stops being God for a moment. But while he is on this earth, he ministers in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is directed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That same power that God said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go. In whose strength and in whose power do we minister? In the minister? We minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. We should be led and directed by the Holy Spirit. So as we dig into this story, we need to remember this. Jesus is not, he's not going to open up his, up his shirt and all of a sudden he's Superman and do, do these things. He doesn't yet know. Why is he crossing this, this lake? There's a storm as he crosses this lake. There's a storm. Chapter 4, just before us, there's a terrible storm. So bad. The storm is so bad that these seasoned fishermen, what do they say? Look, we're going to die. And Jesus gets up in the boat and does what? Be still. Can you imagine what that must have been like? I, I, I can't imagine what that must have been like. For the storm to all of a sudden be still. And what was the reaction of these fishermen, of these disciples? Who is this guy? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus is going to move from one storm into another storm. He's going to be met by a man who... And let's just get let's just get the let's just talk about this man here for a minute. Verses two to five. If you have a copy of the scriptures, your iPad, your iPhone, I would direct you to Mark chapter five. We've already heard it. We see it up here. And let me just read it for you. And you get, this gives us kind of the context. And it says, "This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot." But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to, 
strong enough to subdue him. And night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This was a man, verse, verse 2 says, he was demon-possessed, hopeless, hopeless. I mean, think about this. There, there, this guy, there's no hope. And yet, why did God bring his son across the lake? He brings him through a storm. And he brings him to the other side. Why? Why does God do anything in our lives? Does God just do things just because he thinks, okay, I'm just going to do this in this person's life. I'm just going to do this in that person. God has a purpose with our lives, doesn't he? You are not at the job that you are at just because you think, okay, this would be a good place to work. You're not living in the flat where you are. You're not even living in Hong Kong simply because, okay, this is what I think is a good place to live. The sovereignty of God leads us to where it is that he wants us to go. So you need to be asking the question, why? Why does God lead his son across the lake? And I think there's a very important reason. Because there is someone who needs hope. Someone who is in an absolutely hopeless situation, but there's an even bigger reason. Whenever God brings someone to Christ, it is never with the intent of just that one person coming to Christ. He wants that person to come to Christ because that person's life affects others. This is who I was. This guy, this guy, the, the God has in mind that he wants this area, this area that accomplished, this Greek area, he wants them to find hope. He wants them to know about God. He wants them to know about the, the, that there is a Savior for them. For them. And he's going to choose one of the most unlikely candidates that we could ever think about. And you think about it. That God would want to use people like us. He knows everything there is to know about us. He knows what we did this week. He knows those times when we got into the elevator and we think there can't be another person who could possibly get in that elevator. And three more with big suitcases still cram their way into the elevator and think... He knows what you think about those at those times. He knows what you see on the internet. He knows even the conversations you had coming in the car this morning. We, we put the happy face on on Sunday morning, don't we? We put nice clothes on. We put the smile on. But God's the one who knows our hearts. And to think that God Almighty would want to use people like us to share the truth of Christ. That's humbling, isn't it? That is humbling. Jesus comes to this man, and he's demon-possessed. It says in verse 9, Jesus asked him, what's your name? The man said, Legion. He replied, for we are many. This man is demon-possessed, totally controlled, insane. Verse 5 says, night and day among the tombs, he would cry out and cut himself. And verse 27 says in Luke chapter 8, verse 27, it says, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. And for a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, or li- he, but had lived in the tombs. Demon-possessed, hopeless, naked, a danger to himself. Verse 5 says that he would cut himself. He would cut himself with stones. And isn't this the way of the enemy? He always seeks to destroy the image of God in people. This is who he was. This is who this man was. And yet, when Jesus comes to him, he couldn't help himself. Hopeless. Hopeless. 
I wonder how many of us would write hopeless over things in our lives. Hopeless. He is never going to change. I thought when I married him, he was going to be a godly man. He is never going to change. Hopeless. Our our marriage is hopeless. My child is never going to come back to the Lord. This child went to Sunday school, went to youth group, proclaimed Christ. We took him to camp. We did everything we were supposed to do. And our child went away to university and said, I don't believe in God anymore. And we want to write above that, hopeless. Maybe you're in a work situation and your boss is just... (sighs) You would say, "I, I, I hate going to work because my boss is so mean. You say, there's no way that this person will ever change. Maybe you're in the midst of a financial situation and you say, it's hopeless. Is it? Is it? Jesus loves to enter into hopeless situations, doesn't he? This is what he's doing. God brings his son into an absolutely hopeless situation to bring hope. And I wonder today, What situation, what thing in your life have you written over the top and said, hopeless? It will never change. And I wonder today if God isn't inviting you to say, would you let me in? Would you you let me into the midst of that situation? God does some of his best work in situations that we would deem as hopeless. This case in point right here. This guy's hopeless. Not only is he hopeless, he's helpless. Luke chapter 8, verse 27. It says, When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by the man, met by a demon possessed man from the town, and for a long time this man had not worn clothes. Oh, excuse me. I missed a verse here. Um, he was helpless. He couldn't help himself. He'd been this way for a long time. In addition to that, in addition to that, Verse, uh, I'm going to skip ahead here to verse, uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. It said, This man had lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains and broke them apart. And it says that no one was strong enough. Did you catch the word? Subdue. It's an interesting word. In English, you know, it means we, we kind of wrap your arms, try to, try to control this person. But the Greek of this word, is, it's an even richer meaning. It means to tame. Like you tame an animal. You know, you have a dog, you have a whatever, uh, you have a cat that's, that's been tamed, you have a horse that's been tamed. That's what it means. It, it's the idea of taming a wild animal. That's what this guy was like. Hopeless. Helpless. And you think about that. You think about, this is the guy that that, that Jesus came to. And you know, when you think about it, that's every one of us. That's every one of us. God says in his word in Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that seeks after God. Left to our own devices, would we have sought out God? No. Men love darkness, it says, because their deeds are evil. 
We were without hope. In fact, in the book of John, it says that no one comes to the Father. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father unless the one who sent me draws them. God is pursuing people to bring them into a relationship with him, to pursue. You get the idea of what it means to pursue? Many years ago, back when my hair was still red and I had a mustache, I was in Bible college and it was, I was about 20 years old and it was the first couple days of Bible college and I saw this young girl across the way. She had her hair in braids and I thought, wow, she is a very pretty girl. I want to get to know her. So I knew that she had grown up in Laos, and so we had groups that met together for prayer, and we prayed for different parts of the world. And I thought, okay, she grew up in Laos. She's going to go to the group that prays for Laos, Vietnam. No, she went to the one that prayed for Africa. I thought, and I should have learned then, she doesn't think that way. So I thought, I think, okay, so how do I get to know her? I washed dishes at the college, and when I would see her come there, I'd be all dirty from the washing dishes, and, and I'd see her, and I'd try to say hello to her. I knew her name, but she didn't know mine. And so finally, I, she played volleyball. So I would go to her volleyball games, and I'd watch her play volleyball. I'd try to talk to her at volleyball. And one night, I saw her walking down the hall, and we were all alone. She was coming there, and I thought, okay, 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 I got, I got to ask her out tonight. So I, I asked her out. She said, yes, she didn't even know my name. She had to go back to her friends and ask who I was. But I pursued her. Why? Because I wanted to have a relationship with her. God pursues us to have a relationship with us. And you may be here this morning and you say, well, that doesn't matter. I don't believe in God. That doesn't matter. God believes in you. And God is pursuing you to have a relationship with you. You may already be a Christian. God is still pursuing you to have an even deeper relationship with him, a relationship that's real, that's personal, and that's based upon his love. He was seeking a relationship with this guy. He was pursuing this man. He sent his son to the one place where this guy, where, where he could do this. And you think about what it is that God has done in each one of our lives. God pursued us. Why are we where we are today? It isn't because of anything we've done. It is because of the very mercy and the grace of God. Amen? Amen. That's the mercy of God. But there's a couple of things to be careful of. Because we need to remember that this guy was somebody, wasn't he? I mean, think about this. Did, did people know who this, this man was, this demon-possessed man was? Yes, they, they had to. Think about it. This is, this is a small area. Think Some of you came from a small village. Some of you came from a small town. I grew up in a smaller town in the, in the Midwestern part of the United States. You know people. He had to be known. He was somebody's son, possibly even somebody's husband, possibly a brother. He was somebody. Every person we meet who doesn't know Christ is somebody that God cares deeply for in the same way that he cares deeply for us. Every person that God brings to the doors of AIC is someone in whose life God is working and longs to have that relationship with him. Amen? This, is, this was somebody that was important to God. And one of, the, one of the dangers that we can have at times 
is that we look at we look at at people or we look at this situation and say, well, I I wasn't that bad. I mean, yeah, I I said a few things that maybe I shouldn't have said. I I maybe took something once that I didn't shouldn't have taken. I maybe parked in a place that I, I shouldn't have parked. There was a time I didn't wear my seatbelt, but I wasn't really that bad. We're told in Romans 3.20 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. All of us. Sometimes, too, we, we have the danger of saying, if you could think it, I did it. I, am so, I was so bad before Christ. I don't know how God could ever use me. There's something that's so important to remember. God wastes nothing in our lives. Nothing. Some of you women have had a miscarriage. Those are hard, aren't they? We had one. But then you think about somebody else, another woman who's had a miscarriage. Can you walk alongside of that person who's had a miscarriage and know what it is that they're walking through and minister to them? You think about things that have happened in your past. God wastes nothing. He wastes nothing. He can take those things in your past and he can use them for his glory. That's the mercy of God. That's the greatness of God in us. But there's also sometimes a danger that can come and say, oh man, you should have seen my life before Christ. It's not a badge of honor. We are who we are because of the mercy of God. This is who I was. Think about who you were before Christ. Do you want to go back there? Do you want to go back to that hopelessness? This is who I was. This is who I am. Look at this. Watch this. Verse 15. Jesus has cast the demon out of this man. And, and now, they, now when they find him, they, it says, When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Why were they afraid? I wonder if they weren't asking the same question that the disciples asked in the, in the boat. Whoa. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Because this is who he was. And they had seen who he was. They couldn't even put chains on him. And now, this is who he is. And he's sitting there. And that word sitting there is an interesting word. It's the same word that's used when Mary and Martha, remember Mary and Martha, two sisters, their brothers, Lazarus? Where's Mary or Martha? Martha's in the kitchen, you know, always doing the stuff in the kitchen. Where's Mary? Seated at the feet of Jesus. Same word. Same understanding here. It is a, it's a posture of worship is where he's at. He's seated. He's got clothes on. And then he's in his right mind. For the first time in how long? For the, I, I think some of those people who, who saw him, this was maybe the first time in years. Not only was he seated, not only was he clothed, but he was talking. Talking sensibly. And they're afraid. This is who I was. Before Christ, this is who I was. This is who I am. When they saw him, 
They saw now who he was. And I think about that. What difference has Christ made in your life? Okay, you're a Christian. Good. Great. So what difference has he made in your life? Does it make any difference? Has he made any difference? Has there been any difference in the way in which you treat your wife? Is there any difference, wives, in the way that you treat your husband? Is there any difference in the way that you speak? Is there any difference in the way in which you spend your money, in the way in which you live your life, in the way in which you do your job? Is there any difference in, the, in what it is that you put into your body, what it is that you look at on the internet? Is there any difference? Because when Christ enters our lives, should there be a difference? Okay, let me say it a little differently. When Christ enters our lives, should there be a difference? Yes. Absolutely. Christ doesn't enter into our lives to simply be, okay, now we have fire insurance. Now we don't have to worry about going to hell. He doesn't enter our lives to do that. What does he say? He says he died to be both Christ and Lord. To be both Savior and Lord. This is who I was. This is who I am. Who are you? Is it evident? Is it evident to the people around you that there has been a difference? That Christ has taken up residence in your life? Is there a difference in the way in which which you live your life, is it evident? Because it should be. Is he Lord? Because some of us, we have Christ, but he doesn't have us. What I mean by that is this. He's our Savior. We have him, but he doesn't have our life. He doesn't have our life to say to us, I want you to think about moving across the world. I want you to think about leaving your children and your grandchildren. I want you to think about going into another culture, another language, another people, a place where it's hot as a biscuit all all the time. When God lays his hand on our lives, do we say, yes, Lord? Or do we say, let let me think about that, God, first. If he's Lord, we say, yes, Lord. I will do what you want me to do. I will go where you want me to go. I will be who you want me to be. Radical? That's what changed the world. Was God used 12 disciples who had them, who God was their Lord. And they were willing to do and they were willing to go whatever it was that God called them to do. This is who I was. This is who I am. When I was in Cambodia, I tell you one more story about Kung. When Kung came to Christ, wow, he was on fire. He still is on fire for Christ, leading people to the Lord all over the place. There's a mother church that was uh, where he lived maybe 10 kilometers from where he lived. And every day as he would go to, or when he would go to discipleship classes at the church, he would drive by and there would be a dump And as he drove by the dump, every once in a while, he'd see somebody dart in in amongst the garbage. And he went to the church and he said, there's somebody living out there in the dump. We need to go and share Christ with them. And the pastor said, okay, you're you're, you're a new Christian. You've got lots of energy. We'll, We'll get around to that. 
And so two weeks went by, and Kung said, we need to go today and find out who's in that dump and share Christ with them. And so he got six men and two women, and they have this, uh, oh, it's kind of like a handheld tractor. Maybe you've seen them before, with a long trailer on the back. And they took it over there. But before they did, they went into town, and they asked the people in the town. They said, who's out there in the dump? And they said, we don't know. That person has been out there for as long as we can remember. People take food, and they leave it at the entrance to the, to the dump. And in the morning when they come there back, the food is all gone. But nobody knows who it is. They don't know if it's a man or a woman. So they went in there and they looked and finally they found her. It was a woman. Just like this man. Naked, she was dirty, and took six men. And finally they were able to, to, to get, get their arms around her to bring her back. And when they got around her, she went, rah! She's one like that. All six men, boom, all fell on the ground, just like this, this person here. Finally, they were able to get her over to the church. They prayed for her. They cast the demons out of her. She was mute. But when she came to Christ, one of our missionary ladies there, our Kamai missionaries that's there, she said, when I saw her for the first time, her name is Miriam. They call her Miriam, like Mary Magdalene. And they said she was sitting there with her Bible open, clean. She'd bathed three times a day now. And they said it was so evident that God had made a radical change in this lady's life. And it should be so evident in our lives as well, shouldn't it? Are you saying yes to God? What's he asking you to do right now? That you are saying, you cannot be serious. You cannot be serious. When the Holy God asks us to do something, our first response should be, Yes, Lord. What is it that God is asking you today? What is it that you're saying, But I don't know that I can do this. That's where I go back to the beginning and say, Everything that Jesus did, He did it under the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God never for a second expects us to do things in our own strength and in our own power. What is God asking you to say yes to today? This is who I was. This is who I am. Jesus made the difference. That's the key. Why was this guy changed? Because Jesus made the difference. Why are we changed? Because Jesus made the difference. Look at this. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to, begged to go with him. He begged to go with him. And what did Jesus say? Man, you would be great to bring along. I can tell everybody about this, what it is you did, and I can show them you. He didn't say that. What does he, what does he say? He says, verse, skip ahead just to verse 19, and then I'm going to come back to verse, 18, verse 17 for a second. It said, Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He wanted to go. There's an interesting thing. If you want to study on your own, watch the word begged, to beg for something. He begged to go with Jesus. 
But watch what the people of the area, when they see what Jesus did in this guy's life, what did they, what did they do? They beg him. Verse 17 says what? They pleaded with him. Just, just, just go. Just, just go. I and mean, we just lost how many thousand pigs down the hill? Just, just go. We don't know who you are. Just, just go. And Jesus says to this man, but you stay. You stay. And you tell those around you about the mercy and the grace that God had on you. What did God do for you? Sometimes we say, God, you don't love me. Or I don't know where we... we, Every time we say, God, you don't love me, we look at the cross. Because it was at the cross that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look at, here's a couple things that, that God did for us. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1. He said, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. God found you. God pursued you. What did God do for you? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. God made you alive, Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. I've done a lot of funerals. I've been a pastor for 30 years. I've done a lot of funerals. I have never seen it. Thank the Lord. I have never seen anybody rise up out of the casket when I'm doing the funeral. But the picture that God says of us is this. Before Christ, you were dead. There was no way to change your situation. It was Christ who made you alive. The moment that you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there was a transaction in heaven that happened. He made you alive. He forgave you of your sins. Think about it in this way. Before you came to Christ... This is where you were. God picked you up from there and he took you and put you over here. This is where you are. You are no longer over there. You were dead. And he made you alive. And not only did he make you alive, the last part of verse, that Colossians 2.13 verses what? What does it say there? He did what? He forgave how much of our sin? All. All our sins. He not only made you alive, He not only redeemed you, but He forgave you of all your sins. Amen? And He says to this guy, you stay here. And you tell your family. That word family is an interesting word. I'm going to geek you out here for just a second. It's the Greek word oikos. It means, it's not just family. It's proximity. Some of our Filipinos understand the, the idea of family. It's not just my, my brothers, my sister, my mom and dad. It's aunties, it's uncles, it's grandmas, it's grandpas. It, it's, it's, it's extended. It goes way out. Some of, some of you as well know what, what that means. And what he's saying here is he's saying, you tell them. Where do you start? Where, do, where, do, where did he want this guy to start at? With the people who knew him best. Had people seen him? They had to know who this guy was. And he says, you tell them. Tell them about what Jesus did for you. And I think about in our situations where we are. Here's where I go back to that sovereignty of God issue. You are not where you are 
simply because of your grades, simply because of your education, simply because of your wealth or lack of. You are not where you are just by happenstance or chance. The sovereign God has determined where it is that you should be. Where it is you work, the flat that you live in, the community that you live in, everything, the family even that you grew up in. He's determined that. And what has he asked? The same thing that he asked this guy. This is who I was. You remember that? You remember who you were before Christ? This is who I am. Who are you? What has Christ done for you? Are you any different today than where, what you were before? Jesus made the difference. Are you interested? I love seeing the candle up there. Because a candle represents hope. It represents another person whose name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. That brings God glory. We exist to bring God glory. How is God given glory? When the light of Christ is shared. This is who I was. This is who I am. Jesus made the difference. Are you interested? Who do you know? Who is it? I want you to think right now. Who is it that God is laying on your heart right now that he would be saying, I want you to share what it is that I've done. I want, I want you to share the mercy. Because are there people in your life that you know that you would say, yeah, they're walking through some pretty rough stuff. Or that, yeah, their marriage, um, they could sure use Christ. Or this situation that they're walking through, they've got, a, they've got a child who's just doing everything and anything, or they're walking through a financial situation. Or maybe they came back from the hospital this week, and the report is cancer. And they don't know Christ. I think every single one of us in this room has somebody that God has laid on your heart right now. This is who I was. This is who I am. Jesus made the difference. Are you interested? Did you catch that last little verse there? Verse 20, Mark chapter 5, verse 20 is where I'm going to go at here. He says, So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. I think that is the understatement of the century. As they saw this guy, maybe they saw some of the scars on his arms from where he'd cut himself before, but they hear him talking rationally about what it is that God had done for him. Not only were they amazed... Here's your, your little lesson if you want to do something this afternoon or later on this week. Go ahead two chapters to chapter 7, I believe it is, when Jesus comes back into this area. Remember, when Jesus leaves this area, what are they saying? Just, just go. Just go. We don't want you here. Go. But Jesus leaves this man behind. And what happens? As Jesus enters back into the Decapolis they come looking for him. Why? They come bringing to him a man who is mute. And they say, and they did what? Here's that word begging again. They begged him, lay your hands on him. Before, just, just go. 
Something happened in that area. This guy. We're never even told his name. But God did something in his life. And he couldn't keep it a secret. Let me go back to my friend Kung one last time. So when Kung prayed to receive Christ, wow, it was like gasoline next to a match. This guy just, he couldn't wait to tell people about Christ. He has eight siblings. Of those eight siblings, seven of his eight siblings have prayed to receive Christ. Every place that his siblings are, we now have a church. Because what, not only did the siblings pray to receive Christ, but that opened the door for others. Then say, well, we want to hear more about this. He now serves as one of our evangelists in this area. And he comes to the church and he said, ask, can you just, he rides a little moto. He and another guy ride a little moto all over these villages, terrible roads, going and sharing Christ. People are calling him and saying, can you come and share? We've got three, four, five, we've got ten people who want to hear about Jesus. Can you come and share? He'll go anywhere to share Christ. Because he knows who he was. He knows what he is now. And he knows that Jesus made the difference. And people are interested. People are interested. Who do you know? Who do you know, AIC, that needs to hear about Christ? I look at empty chairs here this morning. And I think about people coming to know the Lord. And the candle being lit every Sunday. Because more and more people are coming to Christ. That brings God glory. That doesn't bring us glory. That should never be our badge of honor. It should always be about Christ. This is who I was. This is who I am. Jesus made the difference. Are you interested? What is it today that you've written the word hopeless over the top of? This guy was hopeless. Hopeless. Helpless. And yet, when Christ entered into that hopeless situation, what happened? But Jesus won't go where he isn't invited. People in, in the community where I live, they often say to me, Hey, we need to have you over to our house. And I'll say to them, All you have to do is invite us. And there are many times where that's the only thing we hear is, We need to have you at our house. Jesus goes only where he's invited. I think about what is it that Jesus is asking you to say yes to. Are you any different today? And you go back to that scripture that says he forgave us all our sin. Maybe this morning you need to say before Christ, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? And maybe, and I don't know, I'm an North American coming from another culture, but God's Word talks to us and says, you know, if we've sinned against a brother, a sister, we're to confess that, aren't we? And I know for some of us as guys, it's a little tough when we've said things. They think, well, Pastor, you don't understand Chinese culture. Okay. But I know what God's Word says. And guys, we show Christ. We show Christ when we do what it is He calls us to do. If we've said something, done something that we need to ask our spouse to forgive us for, maybe as a, as a wife, you've been, you've been at odds with your husband. And God is asking you to make that right.
What is it that God today would be asking you to say yes to? Maybe it's something else and you've been saying, God, there's no way, there's no way that that could ever happen. I can't do that. God never asked you to do it in your own strength. He asked you to do it in his. What is it that God would be asking you to say yes to? And the last thing is, who is it that God has placed in your life? Who is it that God has placed in your life? Proximity, close proximity. Like, like right here, these, these four, proximity. These are the ones close here. Who in your life has God put in proximity? But then I'm not just thinking, these four here. What about all the way back to Edmund? And then all the way back to Victor? Who are those people that God has put in proximity? Because every single person touches somebody else. And that's what God desires. That's what God desires. That's why when Jesus comes back, there's a difference. And there should be a difference in our lives. Amen? Thank you for putting up with me. I'm a little bit over over my time here this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you again for the word, for how it speaks to our hearts. And Lord, I thank you for those things that you have said this morning. Lord, I just want to get out of the way to allow you to be able to be the one who speaks. That you are the one that is glorified. Because God, there are situations here that we have deemed hopeless. But you enter into hopeless situations. And you can bring change. Lord, for some of us, we have called you Savior. But we have not called you Lord. And there are those things in our lives that you are calling us to say yes to you, to walk in obedience with you. And Lord, today I pray that this would be a day where we not only make you Savior, but we make you Lord as well. And Lord, you have put us in proximity with people that that need hope. We know people here who received word this week that that they're dying of cancer. We know people in this room this week whose husbands left them. We know people in this room who are walking through financial situations that seem absolutely without hope. You have put people in close proximity to us to share the hope and the life of Christ with. God, give us boldness. But God, don't just give us boldness. Empower us by your Spirit to do that which you have called us to do. For your glory and your glory alone, God. And I pray all this. And I pray, God, your blessing over this church. I pray that, God, you would lead them and direct them in what it is, God, that you want. Lord, do not give us what we want. Your word says you gave them what they wanted and you gave them leanness of soul as well. We do not want what we want. We want what you want, God. So, Lord, be blessed, be honored, and glorified, for you are worthy of it. In Jesus' name we pray it. Would you join me in praying as our Lord has taught us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.